friendship. Thank you, man. Oh, thank you. Thank you. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. All right, man. That's all right. I like that energy. Like that energy. I was here for the first service. There was energy there, but definitely a lot more. And it's good to see everyone. And it's good to be back at Exchange Church, whether we're in quiet waters, whether we're in the black box here. Um, God's on the move with his people. Amen. And it's exciting to, uh, to see you here this morning. And so even just to be back, I always think of Philippians, uh, the beginning of Philippians 1. And if you read those verses in the beginning, it says, I thank my God on every remembrance of you because of our fellowship, uh, more than anything, our fellowship in the gospel um, and that bond and that unity that we have. So I always think of this group of people and so thankful for Josiah and Kimber and their little ones and just that unity in the spirit um, as you guys um, go each week. And, uh, and make a difference in our world. So I'm excited to be here and excited for your faithfulness and a faithful God. And real talk, I love this series, um, a biblical approach to tough conversations. If you're going to have a tough conversation, this is probably the year to do it, right? Um, 2020, like let's just get it all in now. Um, but I'm excited that you guys are going through this. And like Josiah said, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 4, also be in Colossians 3. So we'll jump over there. But it's that idea that you know, what would Paul say to exchange church? If he's writing a letter to this church, you know, I love how Josiah put it a couple weeks ago. What would he have to say? You know, what would that letter be like? And as you have been going through this series, I've been I'm watching, I've been um, listening um, online to a lot of it. And I will say it definitely has not been um, Skittles and unicorns and gingerbread men. It's been, someone's like, no, uh, it's been some weighty, weighty stuff, but sometimes that's good. It's good to weigh into the hard stuff sometimes because the wrestle is necessary when it's a good thing and you're dealing with some topics that, you know, as a church, some churches just totally stay away from, but as a church, I love that you guys are going through it. It's not always easy and sometimes the tough conversations aren't always easy, but it's good. It's a necessary wrestle, I would say, and so I'm glad um, to be kind of ending this series um, as Josiah talked about, and hopefully it can be as helpful as what I've had a chance to listen to online. So before we jump in to Ephesians chapter 4, if you just um, bow your head with me, we're going to pray, and then we're going to jump in. So Lord, we thank you this morning because you are a great God, and you work all things uh, for our good. Lord, we know that to be true. Um, we've experienced in our lives. And so Father, I just thank you for everyone who's here. Lord, for those who are watching online, thankful for them. And God, just pray that you continue to be with us because we need you um, each day. And as we talk about even this topic today and talk about our daily life, I pray that you would help us to walk that out well. And so God, just bless us as we get into it. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. So Ephesians chapter four, we're going to start in verse 17. And this one's a little different. As we start, because you know, you guys have talked about the gospel, like just say the gospel and grief, you know, the gospel and race, the gospel and sexuality. And so, you know, again, some hard topics to walk through. But I was thinking about this and I think almost every message, almost every sermon, almost every speech, someone has said since March. And I don't know if you found this experience to be true, but they always start with in uncertain times like these. Or with the phrase like, in a pandemic like we're in now. I almost feel like it should be like a movie trailer. You know, you go to movie trails and movie trails are like, in a world. And you're like, okay, and we watch it. I feel like everyone starts like, in a pandemic like this one. And 
it almost makes me sometimes you get frustrated. You're like, oh my goodness. Like, again, I know we're in a pandemic. Like, I get it. But it's true. I mean, more than anything, it just is true. We're dealing with some of the most tumultuous times that we can probably remember in recent history, maybe not in all of history. And so the question I get a lot from people is, hey, so how can I as a Christian, in light of all these things we're dealing with, how can I as a Christian affect change through what's happening? Because it seems like you know, things are crazy. How can I affect change? What's the best thing I can do? And I love this passage because I think it deals with probably the best thing we can do as Christians as we deal with, you know, this crazy world, if you would say, we deal with what we're going through. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, and we're going to talk about real talk, the gospel and daily life, the gospel and daily life. So Ephesians 4, 17 says this, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in the true righteousness and holiness. So there's an exhortation here, and I'm going to stop there. It says, don't walk as the Gentiles walk. And I love Paul because he always sets the table for us. So when you read Paul, whether it's Colossians, whether it's Ephesians, Paul always says, hey, listen, in light of who you are and what you've been given. And if you look even in the beginning of Ephesians, it says that there's one body, one spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And if you've been equipped for the work of the ministry. So I even look out today and think, okay, saints equipped for the work of the ministry. In light of all that, how are we supposed to live? So he says, okay, all these things are true. Now, okay, here comes real talk. Okay, I know he didn't say that, but you know, now he's like, okay, let's get practical. Let's get down to the real talk. And he says, listen, don't walk as the Gentiles walk. If you're looking at the world around you, there's a darkness there that I don't want you to walk in because you've learned something different. You've been enlightened in a different way. And because of that way, I don't want you to go on the trajectory that the Gentiles, that those who don't have the truth of the gospel are going, don't walk that way. I want you to do something new, but rather I want you to put off. Think about it like this, almost like taking off a garment. I want you to put off that old lifestyle, but that's not it. I also want you to put on a new lifestyle, how are we going to do it? By the spirit and renewing of our mind, just like Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And it applies to the rest of the book. And it also applies to some things just in this passage in 17 through 32 that are the idea of, okay, how does that apply to our mouth? How does that apply to our attitude? How does that apply to other believers? How does that apply to forgiveness? He's about to give us instruction for all these things. And as I look at all these things and thinking about, okay, we're the church. So even in this crazy time where I really don't feel like putting on this mask, I really don't feel like dealing with these issues, I'm going to do it. How can we walk in light and how can we be the church that God has called us to be? And I would contend that a lot of these things that we're about to talk about are the stuff daily life is comprised of. They're the things daily life is made up of. 
And I would say some of the most important work that God has called you to do, you and I, some of the most important work that God has called us to do is with the people you come in contact with every day. Some of the most important work God has called you to do is with the people you come in contact with every day. So the question I would have for you is this. How's your walk? Hey, how's your walk? Now, I know that's not a glamorous question. That's not glamorous like participating in the next big, you know, march or demonstration, which there's a time for. I know that's not glamorous like dropping a major, you know, IG post with like everything I think in it. I know that's not glamorous like speaking or performing in front of hundreds of thousands of people. As a matter of fact, I was thinking about it and no one's even asked me recently, hey, how are you doing with the people who you live with day in and day out? How are you doing with your neighbors? No one even asked me that lately. But that is what God, I think, through Paul is talking about in this text. How's your walk? You know, there is a um, artist named Stephen Curtis Chapman. And uh, if you're probably like under 40, you might be like, who is this person that you speak of? Because um, he's like, I don't know, Stephen Curtis Chapman, like the next member of like 116 or something. I don't know. Um, no. But... You know, he has an old song, it's called The Walk, and he says it like this. He says, you can run with the big dogs, you can fly like the eagles, which I was saying in first service, I'm a, I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan, we haven't been flying anywhere lately, but um, you can run with the big dogs, you can fly with the eagles, you can jump through all the hoops, you can climb a ladder to the top, but when it all comes down, you know it all comes down to your walk. How's your walk? almost named this real talk in the walk, but I didn't want Josiah to be thinking I'm going to rap the whole time because it rhymes. But, you know, how's our walk? You know, some of the most important work that God has for us is with the people we come in contact with day in and day out. It's probably not, you know, the friend on Facebook who you have. Again, I'm still dealing with the 40 and older crowd in this example for a second. But it's probably not the friend you have on Facebook who you forgot that you even were, you know, were a friend to them until they posted something that you didn't like. Um, and then you were like, what? And you forgot you went to college with them 16 years ago. And you're like, and then as soon as you saw their post and remembered that they were your friend and used to go to college with them, you're like, I can't believe that. Delete, delete, delete. Um, it's, it's probably not going to be, you know, so impactful for them, it's probably going to be impactful to who are the people you're with? Who do you work with? Who do you eat with? Who do you do community with? Who do you work out with? Who's your neighbor? Paul is talking about how we affect those people even through a lot of these things that we're going to talk about in this text. And it says, since we are in the light and we don't have darkness in us any, anymore since we've been enlightened and we can do everything that we can do to stand in the evil day, which, by the way, is today, um, not December 13th, but 2020. Hey, we're in that day where God's saying, hey, and once you've done everything to stand, I want you to stand. He's saying, don't walk as the Gentiles walk. Or actually, the idea in the text is don't walk as the Gentiles are walking in the vanity of their mind. Why? Because they don't know any better. So Paul, almost through his quill, is like trying to get the attention of the Ephesians. You know, one of the, the foremost churches, you know, in this area is like saying, hey, I want you to walk differently. Because they're in the vanity of their mind. They don't know any better. They haven't been enlightened. Not that non-believers are not smart, but it's saying they haven't been enlightened to the gospel so I want you to do something different because their end has no end. There's no end game when you live that way. There's, there's nothing that's going to come from it. One author put it like this. It's a wild goose chase with no goose at the end. You know, don't walk like that. 
I want you to walk differently. I want you to walk in light of the gospel, in light of the truth. Look with me at verse 18. It says, they being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. That idea of blindness means almost to like form calluses. You think about like calloused hands or calluses. That's that idea. They're callous to anything that would be the truth. But it says, you are not so that you, meaning me and you, us, the church, so do your daily life differently. Do your walk differently. Do it different because you know better. I don't know if you've ever taken um, a young child to the beach. So I was talking about this in first service. So you take, you know, a young child to the beach. Any, you know, anyone under one years old, if you've ever been to the beach with um, a child, a baby almost, under one years old, it's definitely an experience. Okay? You should try it sometime if you haven't. So because I remember when I have older sons now. And, you know, I take them to the beach and, you know, you kind of lay out a blanket. You try to get a bigger one because they go all over um, if they're mobile. And so you sit them down and I put all these great good things around my son. I remember my, our firstborn son. We put, you know, all these great things around him, like, you know, those little baby things that they eat. They like melt in their mouth. They're actually kind of good. I used to like eat them on the side. My wife wasn't looking. But, you know, you have all these great things around them. Right. And you're like, OK. Now, you know, just enjoy it. You know, if they want to grab something, you know, be on this blanket and don't cause trouble. And what do babies do or little, little kids do when they're on the beach? In two seconds, you turn around and you look and they want to do what? They want to eat sand. Okay. I don't know if you ever had that experience. Toddlers, they just want to eat sand. I mean, I like lay it out for them. And five minutes later, I turn around and they're like, ah, ah. And there's just sand like going like, I don't know if there's something with little kids. Sand looks like really good, like a mirage when you're little. Or something, but they're like just shoving it in. And so you clean them up and you're like, no, no, no. And you put them back and they do the same thing. And it's the idea. When I think about this text, I think about that. It's like, no, you've learned something different. You've learned Christ. Hey, you've learned Christ. Verse 20 says, but you have not so learned Christ in that way. So you haven't learned me in that way. You've learned me in a different way. Since you've learned Christ and continuing to learn, don't do it the same way. I used to teach history and George Whitfield, great preacher, circuit riding preacher from England to the United States. Um, him and the Wesleys just, you know, preached to thousands of people. But, and I can tell hundreds of stories about George Whitfield. Hey, one of my favorite preachers of all time is great. I can tell you information about him. I can tell you story after story about him. And I can learn about him, but I can't learn George Whitfield because he's not here anymore. He's dead. I can't learn him. I can't go hang out with him. We can't, you know, go to the beach and hang out. We can't go get a cheesesteak. We can't do those things. I can't learn him. I can learn about him. But this is different. He says, hey, you have not so learned Christ. The idea is insinuating that Jesus is risen. And we can learn him because we have a relationship with him. And so we can continue to get to know him. Aren't you thankful for that this morning, church? Amen. That we can continue to get to know him. It says, hey, we can still learn from Christ. He's our savior. He's our redeemer. We have a relationship. So I want you to do things different. Look at verse 21. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. That if right there is an if, which is an indeed. In the Greek, there's three types of ifs. 
Okay, so of course, leave it to the Greek to give you three types of ifs. I don't even like one if. I talk to my oldest son all the time. He's always asking me these if questions. I don't know if your children are like that. And I'm like, son, I don't live in the if world. So, uh, and he's always like, but dad, if. I'm like, okay. So the Greek, of course, would give you three. So there's three. There's if, and maybe it is. There's if, and it's definitely not. And there's if, and indeed it is. And so that one is the one that we're looking at there. If. Indeed, you have been heard by him. So that's more would translate like since and because. Okay, since and because. So there's certain things that we need to put off. It reminds you of Romans 12, 1 and 2, where it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. And don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It reminds me of that. Hey, listen, don't live at the pattern of this old world. We want you to put off and put on something new. If you um, look in Colossians 3, and you don't have to turn there, but Colossians 3, 7 through 11 talks about the same thing in verse 7. In Colossians 3, it says, in which you yourself once walked when you lived in them, but now you yourselves are to put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. You know, verse 9 says, put off the old man. Verse 10 says, put on the new man. And when you put off certain things and put on other things, you're making an impression. You're encouraging believers, but you're also making an impression on the non-believers that you're with in your daily life, day in and day out. Let me give you a quote by Tim Keller. I love this. Talk about making an impression. Tim Keller says this about the early church. He says, the early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. The pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. A pagan gave nobody their money and practically gave everybody their body. And the Christians came along and gave practically nobody their body, and they gave practically everybody their money. Think about that. But I think if they can live for Jesus at that time, then we can live for Jesus in South Florida in 2020. And so it says, listen, I want you to put off some things and put on some things. You know, and, and the idea of you have to put off some things to put on others you know, again, talking about um, what happens in our house sometimes. My sons, you know, there was one time we supposed to, hey, listen, I want you to put on this nice sweater. And uh, my son, who had a T-shirt that he'd been wearing all day, which i just be honest, um, it was funky. If he would have put it on, you know, the floor, probably would have got up and walked to his room on its own. Um, but he just wanted to put his sweater on, you know, over top. The always like, no, you know, you don't put on something nice over something that's like old. And, you know, you put on you wouldn't put on old, stinky, you know, funky clothes. You know, we put a new tuxedo on over that because eventually everything would smell. You know, you have to put off certain things and put on other ones. But I love it because even as Christians, sometimes we get compartmentalized. We think, man, well, do I really have to take all this other stuff off? Can I just you know, put this on and not worry about that. But that's the compartmentalization sometimes of our Christianity, which we as believers have to be careful about because then it'll just leave this area untouched. And God says, no, no, no. When I ask you for everything, I'm talking about this thing over here in the corner you don't want to really talk about. You're not really trying to give to me. I, I want that area of your life too. So put off and put on. And it's not just the idea of putting off because you can say, well, I don't do this and I don't do that and I don't watch this and I don't watch that and you know, I don't drink this and I don't smoke that. And you say, OK, that's one thing. But sometimes it's like I don't know who you are until you tell me what is it that you do? What is it that you're going to put on? 
And so God is saying, hey, listen, I want you to put on some things. And the reason why is this. The reason why is because our approach, our approach to our daily life needs to be an approach as if the gospel truly matters. We need to approach our daily life as if the gospel truly matters. Now, I know some people um, in here would say, hopefully everyone would say, well, of course, like, Pastor, like, of course the gospel really matters. I mean, it does. But I think sometimes we have this mundane way of looking at the daily life. But when you look at it like this, it should revolutionize how we look at things. You should have a whole new mindset. You know, Tony Evans, one of my favorite, calls it a kingdom mindset. Even in the mundane, because God's saying, hey, I care about the mundane because it has an effect on people. How you live your life has an effect on people. You know, where you go, where you eat, where you go to work. I had a friend who was, um, you know, talking about a conference that he had been asked to come and do. He said, he was talking to me, he said, hey, you know what? Someone asked me to come and do a conference. Said, what's, what's the name of the conference? And he said, well, the name of the conference is called Winning at Work. Okay. Winning at Work. Can you come do this conference at church? Say, can you come do a conference called Winning at Work? And so he was kind of chuckling. And I said, well, I said, how long is it? He says, two days. And I said, man, it's two days. I was like, what are you going to talk about? I said, what would you say if you could just sum it up? And he said, well, live in light of the gospel, be a Christian, show up for work. Um, and I thought that was, you know, just like, okay, good luck stretching that out for two days. But God is, you know, he cares about all these areas, even the mundane areas, or we would think mundane areas of our life. He's saying, no, there's an effect that you can make there too. And so um, now that Paul sets our position and why this matters, he gets into the nitty gritty. So look at verse 25. It says, therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one to another. So here comes the real talk. Here comes the practical, and he says, I want you to put away lying. Now that you're saved, I want you to stop lying. These are imperatives. Basically means they're commands. He says, I want you to do these things or stop doing these things. So he says, I want you to stop lying, put away lying. You know, this is not the way you've been taught to live. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and now I want you to change. And if you think about that, you say, okay, well, hold up. And you may be sitting there this morning and say, well, I'm not a liar. Hey, that's one thing, you know, if we're talking just conversation from one person to another person, like, I'm not a liar. But that idea in verse 25 can come in a lot of different forms because you may say, well, I'm not a liar, but sometimes do I exaggerate the truth? Do we put a little extra, as one pastor I used to listen to say, a little extra air into the truth? Because, you know, I know 10 people got saved, but it sounds so much better when it was like, you know, 10 to 20 people got saved. And, you know, I only gained 45 yards, but 65 yards sounds so much better, right? Um, you know, there was a, uh, a movie called Remember the Titans. I don't know if anyone here has seen that movie, one of my favorite movies of all time, um, which is a great example of this. So uh, in the movie, if you've ever seen it, one of the scenes, the quarterback, his name is Rev, he gets hurt. And everyone loves Rev, but he gets hurt, and now he can't play. And so Denzel Washington, who's the coach, is trying to convince the next quarterback that he's up for it. So he's giving him a pep talk. And in a pep talk, he says, you know, when, I, when we went through hard times, I was the youngest of 12 children, but I was the leader. And, I, you know, and he gives him this pep talk, and the quarterback goes on the field, and the coordinator who's uh, next to Denzel Washington in the movie looks at him, and he says, man, he said, you were the youngest of 12 children? And Denzel Washington looks at him, he's like, no, eight. And the offensive coordinator looks back at him and says, yeah, 12 sounds a lot better. You know, it's like, do I, do I exaggerate the truth 
in areas that I shouldn't. Maybe do I exaggerate the truth so now I don't have to feel so uncomfortable. So now I kind of get myself out of that situation because, man, I really don't want to, you know, tell this person. I really don't want to deal with that. So do I exaggerate the truth? And now, you know, they're not really going to ask the questions that they would ask follow up. But, you know, God is saying if you walk in light, there's really no messing with the facts. There's no messing with the facts when you walk in light. And sometimes you have to give truth and love. But God's calling us to say, hey, put that away because you're walking differently now. Another one of my favorite stories is an author who talks about a couple, they're going to dinner, and it's a newlywed couple, and they're going to, you know, um, the, the mother-in-law's house, for, you know, for this husband, they're going to the mother-in-law's house for dinner, and the wife says, hey, you know, honey, you know, my mom, she's just not the greatest cook, so just can you be nice, can you be gracious when you eat, you know, she always wants to cook, but just can you be gracious right now, and he's like, okay, she's like, babe, just please, can you be gracious, um, you know, if you're in here with your mother-in-law, just don't even nod your head, just look straight ahead, don't, um, but he says, can you do that, and so they go to the house, and they eat dinner, and dinner's not bad, it's okay, Okay, and so he's like, okay, and then brings out dessert, and he takes a bite of dessert, and it's like the worst thing that he's ever tasted in his entire life. And so he's just getting through, you know, each scoop of dessert until it's over, and then it's finished, and, you know, the mom's talking to him, and she says, well, how is everything? And he says, I must say, this was the best thing that I've ever eaten, you know, and his wife's looking at him like, what? And so they're driving home and his wife's saying, listen, I told you to be gracious. I didn't, I didn't tell you to, you know, you didn't have to lie about it. And he said, listen, I didn't lie. He said, I told your mom, I must say, this is the best thing that I've ever tasted in my entire life, you know, um, stretch, stretching, stretching the truth. Do we, do we exaggerate, do we exaggerate the truth? Because it helps us, you know, get out of situations. God's calling us even in our conversation. Um, I love Proverbs 31. It talks about, obviously, the ideal woman. But it says the law of kindness is on her tongue. I love that phrase. Almost meaning, like, you know, in her speech, she's going to honor God with what she has to say. And sometimes it's almost better to say nothing than, you know, to say something that would be a stretch of the truth or something that's untrue. And I always think about it. I mean, when, we, when you constantly lie, I don't even know how people can keep up because when you're saying this and saying that, you have to be really smart to do all that. I'm not even that smart because you got to remember what you told this person, then you got to remember what you told this person over here, and then you got to remember what you told this person over here. And it's like you're just caught up in this web where, you know, you just have to be like this genius as an algorithm so you don't get caught. You know, I'd rather just tell the truth. Um, in my conversation, but if we approach our conversations as if the gospel matters, and it does, then it will matter what we say as we give the truth in love. And, and listen, look at the end of verse 25. It says, this is why. If you're like, well, well, why? Here's why. For we are members one of another. See, the relationships we have with others are important to God. We're members one of another. We're to be devoted to one another. Verse 26 says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. If you look at the beginning of that verse, be angry. That's another imperative. It's a present imperative. It's actually a command. It's actually saying you should be angry. Now, I know you might be here this morning and say, man, that's kind of weird. Like the Bible is saying, like, I should be angry. And I know a lot of Christians, sometimes especially new ones, they get angry and they feel guilty for just being angry. But 
there's an anger that's okay with God. There's an anger that's morally correct. It even says in certain places and certain times, God's spirit was angered. His spirit was kindled towards things that are sin, towards things that are unjust. You know, Jesus himself twice cleansed the temple. The first time, you know, he made um, the whips with cords and, and he drove people out. The second time, uh, in the book of Mark, and you guys actually walk through this, where on the Sabbath, Jesus healed a man with a withered hand. And he did it on the Sabbath. And so afterwards, he had a question for those religious leaders who were around. And because of the way he posed the question, and they knew they were wrong, they were all silent. They didn't say anything. They were quiet. And Jesus said he was, it was angered. He was angered. Jesus' wrath, or not his wrath, but his anger was towards those religious leaders because he knew they were silent because of the hardness of their heart. See, there's an anger that's not sin. When we see a school that gets shot up, unfortunately, or when we see, you know, someone being treated unfairly or unjust, we watch the news, you see someone getting raped or, you know, a group of people who are taking advantage of, they can't help themselves. That's an anger that's, you know, should be there. We should be angry about, we should be angry about the state of the world today and sin and what it's doing. But it says, be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. That idea of wrath is the idea of being provoked. It's that idea of just being seething. Uh, my grandma used to say, I don't know if you have anyone who gets angry, but I knew to leave my grandmother alone because she used to say, she used to say like, I am hot right now. Um, and I'd be like, all right, I'll see you later. I'm going to go over in this room. And I used to just leave her alone because I didn't want to catch any part of what she was angry about. But as the idea of just like you're just cooking. But if you let the sun go down on your wrath, if you don't say, hey, I need to weigh into this relationship. I'm angry and maybe there's a reason. And that reason has to get worked out. And you let the sun go down on your wrath. Then think about what happens. You know, I don't know if you ever lay on your bed all night, you're angry at someone, and you know, instead of calling them, instead of working it out, instead of talking with them, if someone in your household, you know, your mind races, and you wake up even more angry than you were when you went to bed, right? Still thinking about that thing. It says, don't, Paul says, don't do that. Don't give place to the devil. And that phrase, that idea, don't give place to the devil, almost means don't give territory, you know, don't give ground. Don't give more ground. Don't help them out. You know, if you get angry, you can be angry at the things that are you're supposed to be angry for, but be angry and sin not. You know, if it's a situation where you got to get out like the glue and the sheetrock the next day or you write letters of apology, that's probably like the, you know, you probably went too far. It's like be angry, but sin not. Verse 28 says, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who is in need. You know, in this culture at this time, it was totally acceptable for people. If you were a servant or if you were a slave in this culture and you had a master over you and um, you could figure out a way to, you know, steal away during the day for an hour or two and, and still get your duties done and not for your master to know it was totally acceptable to do that. You know, actually, like, hey, you know, you're in that culture it was like you're getting over, you know, you're getting over on them. If you could figure out a way in your business dealings to like skim a little off the top without, you know, those who whoever your overseer was knowing that was a totally acceptable practice. And Paul is saying, you know, that's not who you are anymore. You know, you've been changed. You've been enlightened. You know, don't do that anymore. I know that's acceptable in the culture, but it's not acceptable. It's not pleasing to God. And you think about, 
those first two could almost lead to this one because if you're in deception and if you're in anger, especially at your employer, that could easily lead you to something like this where you say, well, you know what? They don't even know. So let me just do this. And Paul's saying, no, that's not the way, you know, that's not the way you learned Christ. You have not so learned Christ in this way. You don't give ground to the enemy, even where you work. I think about Jesus, and one of the things that I love about his example is most of Jesus' life, if you look at his 33 years, was daily life. Jesus had three years of public ministry, and the rest of Jesus' life was his daily life, day in and day out as a carpenter. Most of his life, you know, he's driving nails in. He's, whether it's, you know, he's working, building a door frame or building, you know, a table or whatever he's doing. You know, Jesus is working with his hands. You know, Jesus is not like us. We need wood. We are, all right, let's get in the car, get the truck, go down to Home Depot. There's no Home Depot. Hey, Jesus is going out in the woods. He's cutting down a, a tree. He, Jesus was a man's man. Um, and so you see other men follow him. But I love this because Jesus, most of his life, is just his daily, everyday life with the people around him working hard, living honorably as unto his father, just like we should do. And I love that example because between, you know, in Jesus, the gospel is a flattener, right? The gospel flattens everything. See, in our culture, we'll look at the person who, man, they have 20,000 people coming to their church and they're always on TV or they always speak. And, well, there's this, this person over here and, you know, um, they just have this job and they're with their family and, you know, they go to church and they're doing what God told them to do. But in our culture, a lot of times our culture will esteem this person, even in a Christian culture, will esteem one person over someone else. And God's saying, hey, to me, there's no, I don't see, there's no difference in sacred and secular in this way. I'm seeing all things as honorable. I'm seeing this as an honorable thing to work with your hands. Look what it says in verse 28. It says, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Working in a way that's pleasing God, that you can have something to give for your family, that you can have something to give to other people in need, that you might have to give to a missionary who's on a different field or, you know, even in this country or, you know, how can you do it in a way that's honorable to God, even our vocation, which is important to God. You know, think about the people God called. God called people who were working men. So God calls Moses and Moses is tending flocks. God calls Gideon and Gideon is he's threshing out grain. God calls David and David, you know, has his father's flock. You know, God calls the disciples, and what do the disciples do? They have a trade. They're out there. They're mending nets. God is calling people who are working men. Are we working hard as unto the Lord? And in our vocation, are we putting off and putting on what we're supposed to so we can affect those around us? See, think about how you are at work where God's called you. And I would say, how would that affect the relationships that we have with others? your testimony in front of others at work. How would that affect them? And I'm not saying we're going to be perfect, but I do say, man, there should be a progression in our faith. You know, again, back to 25, for we are members one of another. That's why all these things, why, why is this important? As Paul goes through, well, we're members one of another. You know, in John 17, 21, uh, Jesus is praying for his disciples. He says, listen, that they would be one in unity in the gospel. And I love this idea. You know, I know you guys had a message on um, unity in the gospel um, a little bit back. And I think about, I love this idea, this definition of unity that I want to give to you. Um, it's not mine. It's Tony Evans because we just talked about stealing. So I want to steal. I'm going to let you know whose it is. Um, but I love this. It says his idea of unity is this oneness of purpose. 
oneness of purpose, not sameness of being. So oneness of purpose, but not sameness of being. And I look at even just the people in this room today, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, probably come from different places in the country um, or have family who have come from different places. If you didn't grow up here, just to be all in this room, what keeps us together? What binds us together? Well, it's our belief in the gospel, but it's also our belief that, listen, we're here to glorify God and bring others to him. And so we need to be unified as we do that. So God intended us to be one in our purpose, not exactly our being in every part of our makeup, but God intended us to be one in our purpose. And he intended us to be devoted. Romans 12, 10 says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves. And that's hard. But as we do these relationships, it's because we're members one of another. It's not always easy as we do relationships. So we'd be honest today, it's not always easy. Sometimes you see, you might see during this time, I know there was a couple times where, um, you know, again, talking about people posting different things, whatever, where I saw someone, you know, posted something, or I saw someone said something, or even just in a conversation, after the conversation, I could have easily been like, what? You know what? I can't believe you said that. Forget that, you know? But it's, it's easy to do that, but it's hard to pick up the phone and say, hey, you know what? I saw that, you know, um, this is what you said. I saw this is what you posted, and it was just, you know, it was different for me. So I wanted to have a conversation with you because I wanted to understand. Not like, I can't believe you posted that. Are you, you know, it's like, no, um, let's have a conversation about it. Or pull someone aside and have a hard conversation. Say, hey, this is what I wanted to talk to you about. You know, it might not be an easy conversation, but it says, hey, how are we going to walk together? Because when we walk together and are devoted to one another, that gives amazing example to the outside world who's watching, who could be your neighbor, the unbeliever, and just says, hey, you know what, but they do it different. And they wouldn't say it like this, but there's some things that you put off, and there's some things that you put on. And the best way to do it, more than anything, is to proceed in love. In Colossians, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to turn there real quick. In verse 14 and 15, I love these two verses of Colossians 3. And if you have a chance later today or this week, I would read Colossians 3, the, the first half, because it is exactly like Ephesians 4. Um, it's a great parallel. But Colossians 3, 14 says, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. More than anything, put on love, because that's how we're going to do it. Uh, last four verses. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. There's a sanctification process that should be happening. Now, it's not a perfection process because we're not going to be perfect, but there's a growth process that should be occurring that's always moving within us. As we, even in our communication with others, even in our mouth, what's necessary and edifying, what's graceful, what's helpful, you know, how can we communicate in that way? How can we communicate something that will help others? You know, talk about it, you know, you can easily be right and not be helpful. You can easily be right and not be kind. You can easily be right, and I don't know if anyone's experienced this. You know, someone who's right, and you know they're right, but it just didn't feel good to you at all, Right? As you, you receive that from him, like, hey, I know you're right, man, but the way you come across just doesn't show love at all. As a famous quote says, hey, if you have the choice to be right and to be kind, it might be better to be kind. 
You know, it's this idea of how in our communication do we build up others and do we minister grace to others? And do we just grow in that slow process? You know that first part, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Someone could say, well, you know what? I heard you and your wife arguing the other night. And you could say, yeah, praise the Lord, because we used to argue and throw things. Now we just arguing. You know, it's like, okay, there's, there's a growth process that's happening. Sometimes, you know, there's just this growth process that it might be slow, but what's the growth process? How are we moving more towards being like Jesus Christ? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. You know, in Romans 12, 16, and verse 18, it talks about as long as it depends on you, as far as it depends on us, I'm going to do my best to live at peace with all men. I love that section of Romans, but it goes right with um, Paul's talking about here. And even in verse 32, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven us. So in Luke 17, 4, Jesus is talking to his disciples and others. He says, if someone sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Sometimes forgiveness for us you know, is really hard. And I love this passage because it's basically saying, hey, listen, be extravagant with your forgiveness. Jesus is calling us to unlimited forgiveness, which if you want to look interesting in Genesis 4:24, it talks about Cain being avenged seven times and Lamech will be avenged 77 times. It's almost a parallel of Lamech's unlimited vindictiveness, which if we be honest, sometimes that's how we feel. We would love to get unlimited vindictiveness. But to Jesus's unlimited forgiveness. That's the difference. Jesus said, hey, you know what? You used to walk in unlimited vindictiveness. Now I want you to walk in unlimited forgiveness. You know, Paul reminds us in verse 32 that Jesus, whenever he speaks, doesn't speak with a language of calculation. Well, I remember this person did this, and that one time they did this. I'm not forgiving them because this is the fourth time they did this. It's like, no, Jesus doesn't speak with a language of calculation. He speaks with a heart towards reconciliation no matter who it's with. And so, you know, even in Proverbs 19, 11, it says it's a man's glory to pass over, meaning to overlook a transgression. And I think we have to ask ourselves, you know, even looking at this verse in Ephesians 4, 32, does our forgiveness have limits? You know, does our forgiveness have limits? I had a pastor used to say all the time, it was one of my favorite questions and one of the questions I hated to hear because I knew I had to take a look at myself all the time. He says, hey, when does your grace run out? Think about that question. He said, when does your grace run out? Think about the point where your grace runs out. He said, and that's the point Jesus, that's where Jesus wants to work. Hey, the point right now where you know, man, my grace runs out right here for people, for a fellow believer, for someone, you know, who wrongs me in this way. Jesus saying, hey, I want to work on that area of our life, but we can do it and we should be encouraged because we have the Holy Spirit with us. And I'm going to go into chapter five. I know I suppose to stop at verse 32, but guess what? I'm going to read the first two verses of chapter five. Um, And it says this, therefore be imitators of God as dear children. And I love this phrase and walk in love. Think about Colossians three before anything put on love, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. We don't always think about our daily life and think, man, well, what's the aroma of my daily life? That'd be a weird question. Hey, okay. someone might say, maybe you need to go take a shower. Just kidding. Um, 
You know, what's the aroma of my daily life? But you think about that. What's the aroma of how we walk day in and day out? What's that fragrance like to others, other believers? It is encouraging. Do other believers see us and be like, I know they're a believer, but I'm going to walk this way. Um, or is it like, no, we're, we're entreated to them because of our aroma. Do unbelievers, are they attracted to the gospel by how we walk? And, you know, I think about a church of people. I'm just encouraged today. Josiah was talking with him before service, and he was talking about, you know, the different services and everything. And I just look at a room full of people in, you know, in the beginning, I know we started like, you know, in a world. But in a pandemic, all, all of God's people still showing up saying, hey, guess what? You know, try, get, try Satan, you got to try something else because we're still here. You know, we're not in quiet waters. We're in the black box. But guess what? We're still going to show up because we know it's important. And then we're still going to walk out our daily life because we know it's more important than just the building. The church is not the building. It's the people. We can meet out in a parking lot, but we're going to meet and we're going to huddle for Jesus. And then after that, we're going to go out because God's calling us to walk it out. And I love that. I love just seeing all of you. And I hope you're encouraged by this because I know you walk through some really, really, you know, tough things as far as topics. And sometimes we have to have that. But coming out of it, it's like, okay, let's take a step in our daily walk to say, how are we going to walk this out in unity and faith as believers, knowing that we have Jesus with us? Our position is secure. There's some things we got to put off. There's some things we got to put on. We're going to walk forth in love and just make a difference. Make a difference each day. And so I'm excited by that and I'm encouraged by all of you. And if um, you'll bow with me, we're just going to close in prayer. I'd love to pray for you and, uh, and just pray for what God's going to do this week. So, Lord, I thank you for this time. Uh, it's your time. It's always God. It's all your time. But, Lord, specifically just to stop our activities and get into your word and say it's important. The fellowship of other believers is important. Lord, even in a different location, even in masks, we show up because we love you. And God, we know that you showed up for us more than anything. And so, God, I just pray for uh, this church. Lord, I pray for the people who are watching online. And God, even if there's someone online watching online or even in here this morning and says, hey, I, this is the first time I ever came. And I never heard about this Jesus that you're talking about before, but I want to get to know him because this sounds like something that's true. This doesn't sound like something that's just a passing fad or phase. This sounds like something real. And so, God, I pray for that person. Pray they wouldn't leave today without having a conversation with someone here. And they would be introduced to Jesus Christ in a new way. And Lord, for those who are believers in this room, God, just be with them. Even in this Christmas season, Lord, we celebrate your son. And we're just so excited for being able to do that again. And no matter what happens, Lord, no matter what gets thrown at us, we have you and you're our true hope. There's nothing in this world is going to be lasting. There's nothing in this world that's going to be anything greater than your son. We said it. there's no end game for everything else. The most important thing is you. And God, I just pray that you would help this church to be encouraged, to be unified as they walk together. And Lord, help us to walk in unity and help us to, above all else, more than anything, to walk in love. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.